So, Merry Seventh Day of Christmas, and welcome to our continuing celebration of Jesus' birth. But don't worry, we won't be discussing swans a-swimming, geese a-laying, golden rings, calling birds French hens, turtle doves, or partridges in pear trees. It's not church. Instead, we're going to take this time to look at some of the people who often get overlooked in our Christmas celebrations. I must admit that this sermon is partially inspired by John Clausen, our intrepid Joseph in the kids' Christmas pageant. His Facebook post regarding the experience of playing Joseph read, and I quote, children's pageant at Trinity this year was awesome. I was Joseph and had zero lines. Just an old man standing behind a beautiful woman. Mary and Joseph were beautiful. Isn't that the truth? I mean, who has time to notice Joseph when there's Jesus and Mary and angels and shepherds and kings? Everyone's more interesting than he is. And they all have something to say, a, a moment to add how life-changing and momentous and powerful this birth has been for them. Joseph doesn't get that chance. In fact, he never speaks, ever. Anywhere in scripture, he's just there. We just don't know that much about him, but here's what we do know. His name, Joseph, means the Lord will increase, or the Lord will add, or even the Lord will make it happen again. So it's a name that points to faith, that sees God as the one who provides abundance and hope for all of us. Joseph's father is variously given as a man named Jacob or Haley, but there aren't really details about who he is or, or how he came to be that way. We know that he was a carpenter, but the word for carpenter in ancient Greek is broader than that. It could really mean any artisan who worked in wood or iron or stone. What we really know about him is that he's righteous, faithful, willing to listen, and willing to be changed. When we meet Joseph in this gospel narrative from Matthew, it's shocking to realize that this is all they say about the birth in Matthew. Because Luke's gospel gives us such sumptuous detail that seems to stretch out every moment for its theological beauty and significance. Here in Matthew, it's like we're sitting behind the scenes with Joseph and it's just stark. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. It's hardly once upon a time. Matthew tells us that Mary and Joseph were engaged, but their concept of engagement was a little different from ours. In their culture, marriage was a two-step process, first the betrothal and then the sanctification of the marriage. But betrothal is much more than what we think of as being engaged. For them, betrothal was like two-thirds married. So yes, the bride might have still been living at her father's house apart from her groom, but the matter was pretty much considered settled and publicly announced. If either the bridegroom or the bride was caught cheating during this betrothal period, it was still considered adultery, and it was a great shame. So Joseph could have turned in Mary, and she could be punished for being an adulteress, but he didn't want to do that. Knowing that he wasn't the father of this child, he just wanted to dismiss her quietly, just let her live her life, and, and he would continue on his life. 
But just like his ancestor, Joseph, with that technicolor dream coat, Joseph had a dream from God. An angel spoke to him, saying that this woman was to be his wife, and she was not a faithless woman. For the sake of her life, for the sake of the Messiah to come, Joseph needed to be there. The angel told Joseph to be the child's stepfather and to name him Jesus. Joseph woke up and he did as he was commanded. He sanctified his marriage with Mary and took Jesus as his son. Joseph was there, even if we don't really know how. We do know that after the wise men visited, Joseph had another dream and an angel told him about Herod's threat to search for the holy family and to kill this child. The angel told him to take the child and the mother to Egypt by night so that they could hide until it was safe to come back. And it was Joseph who was visited again by an angel in a dream after Herod had died and who was told that it was safe to return home so they could settle back in Nazareth. The only other mention that we have of Joseph is when Jesus is 12 and ran away from his parents to study scripture in the temple. I'm sure you remember the story. It's uh, easily to relate to any child that you might have or might have been in the past who liked to bolt from mom and dad. But after that, we don't know. Many have assumed that Joseph would have been much older than Mary, So maybe he died after Jesus was 12, but before Jesus started his ministry around the time he was 30. What we know is that as long as Joseph lived, he showed up for Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but he was present and trying to do the right thing. When the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Surely she would have told her fiancé that that's how she came to be pregnant, and surely he did not believe a word she was saying because he was going to just let her go. He couldn't believe something that far out of his understanding about the universe and the way that things work. But an angel came to him and told him that he would be guardian and protector of the Son of God as he grew in wisdom and in stature What an awesome calling. He kept his family safe. He supported his wife. He listened for God to speak, and he was prepared to do what was asked of him. He didn't need center stage. He didn't need grand speeches. He made his life a life of faithfulness and service. But more than that, I think that he understood that it wasn't meant to be all about him. He could stand to be in the background to support his wife in her staggering, miraculous state and his son in in his greatly longed-for but deeply challenging mission on earth and within the hearts of everyone in the world. Like John the Baptist, he could point to his son Jesus without looking for more of the spotlight. This Christmas miracle makes us into an ever-expanding, ever-surprising family of faith. Each one of us brings the unique beauty of our lives and of our hearts, our talents and intentions for goodness, and we lay them at the feet of our Lord and Savior. 
And he is the one who sees how each of us fit together, how everything we offer can be transformed into a family whose love overflows in our hearts and out into our lives. We see this happening as the Christmas story unfolds, first to Mary, and then to Joseph, then shepherds and wise men. And then when the family leaves the manger, they go to the temple to offer thanks to God and praise for this gift of a holy child. And that holy light moves on to touch other worshipers too, first Simeon and then Anna. Well, just like our earlier focus on Joseph, we're going to zero in on Anna, because Simeon is the one who gets to make the grand speeches, but as for Anna, well, more is said about her than she ever gets to say. Here's what we know. She's a prophet, and she's old. <laughs> she was married but became a widow after only seven years of marriage, and depending on how you translate the Greek, that means she's either 84 or at least 105 years old. She probably looked great for her age. And she's dedicated her life to fasting and prayer and worship. In fact, she wouldn't leave the temple. I don't know if they tried, but I know she wouldn't leave. She just wanted to be in God's presence. Like Joseph, she showed up for God and she refused to leave, even though it must have been hard. We don't know if she heard or saw Simeon's moment in the sun with the baby Jesus. We only know that as a prophet, she was able to see Jesus clearly and to recognize him as the child she was waiting for. And she praised God and started speaking about the child for anyone who is looking for redemption. This old widow prophet Anna would not fade into the background. She would not give up on her faith and her hope. She wouldn't let anyone tell her that she was in the way or unimportant or a rambling old fool, as foolish young people are wont to do. She was devoted and single-minded. She knew that the God that she had loved and worshipped all her life was with her and would never abandon her. And for her faithfulness, she saw the one who held her hope in his very being, she saw the Christ child, and she told everyone she could find that the miracle had come. When we look at these bit players, we can see so much to help guide us in faithfulness. Neither Joseph nor Anna had it all figured out. They, they didn't know that they were going to be called to moment by moment or what exactly redemption would look like when it came. God said, go, and they went. God said, speak, and they spoke to those around them, even if we don't get to see the words today. They didn't expect to be remembered. They hoped to be of use. They hoped to join that great chorus of praise. And so they have, and so can we. Our lives are a calling, so just as we are called, let us listen, let us speak, let us act, and let us praise each day of our lives. As a new year dawns, may we see and join in the rippling impact of countless small acts 
of faith. Amen.